Hello, friends. This is the Neatarts Friends Church podcast. We are Jesus people, kingdom of God people, welcoming, yearning, sharing. And we're glad you're connecting here with us. We'd love to connect in person as well. If you're inclined to support this podcast or for more information, just hop on over to neatartsfriends.org. That's neatartsfriends.org. Let's jump into today's sermon. Hello, friends. If you missed being with us this past Sunday, we missed you, and I hope you're well. You have more love inside of you. You have more love to give than you think. You are able, you are capable of more love than you think. There's a love that is holding this entire universe together, uh, sustaining all of creation. And that same love that is holding this entire universe together is inside of you. It's, it's inside of your wiring, in your fabric. It's, we talked about this last Sunday. It's God in you and you in God. You have more love to give than you think. The fruit of the Spirit is love. That's what we're talking about today, love. Now, last week, we began our series on the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And so, if you missed that introduction last week, I would encourage you to (laughs) stop this video to, to go back. You can find it on our webpage. Uh, or on our Facebook page, Um, watch that introduction. Um, I think it's called uh, Conflicting Desires is what that sermon is called. Watch that because it will really help you track with the rest of this series. Now, here's a quick refresh. Uh, So last week we talked about how the flesh demands, but the spirit produces fruit. And fruit is the natural product of a life. It's Fruit is the life that just happens when you are being who you are, especially in a healthy, complete way. Now, of course, we all know that fruit starts out as a flower. Uh, so you have this flash of beauty, And it's spectacular. It's colorful. The bees are buzzing. There's excitement in the air. You can smell the fragrance, the vitality. You can hear all of the activity in the tree when you're around a tree that has a whole bunch of flowers. It's just full of life. But then you just have a whole lot of nothing for a very long time. Uh, It feels like After the flower, everything just goes stagnant. There's no progress. There's no movement. The flower petals dry up. They fall off and the color is gone. And you're left with a bunch of hard little green knobs that taste like garbage. They're they're not sweet. 
They aren't tasty, they're small, they're bland, and they're just hanging there doing nothing. It's like, bleh, bleh. is this fruit? So it'd be easy to say, why can't we go back to the flower stage? Like, why can't we just stay there in the flower stage? After all, the flower stage is where the life is and the activity and the beauty and the vitality. Why does the color have to dry up? This world, this world is full of hard little green knobs that taste like garbage. <laughs> and you meet them every day. And sometimes I'm one of them. And a lot of life feels like this. A lot of life feels very similar. It's like today it's just more of the same. Nothing's really happening. There's no movement. There's no progress. This week is just going to be a slightly different version of last week, and then we'll do it again next week. And then we read the fruit of the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love. You are capable of more love than you think. You know, there's this funny trick that nature plays on us. It kind of functions like a drug. Uh, in the flower stage of life, the, the romantic stage of life, if you will. In times like that, we get caught up with the spectacular and the colorful, the vitality and the beauty and the activity. We get caught up in the change. And when things ch are changing in our life, there's, there's this excitement in the air and we just feel full of life. It's the romance of, of dating and engagement. It's starting a new job or moving to a new place or the birth of a child or the adoption of a child or committing to a new church family, striking up new friendships, starting as a volunteer somewhere, the, the church, the homeless shelter, the school, going on a short-term learning trip to another country or a service trip. And there's, there's something about that. It's new, it's change, and it's exciting. But then once the, the newness wears off, once that romance wears off, once the flower petals are drying up and fading, then people look at their situation. They look at their beloved. They look at whoever it is that they were, who they were loving. And, and everything starts to look a little different. Like, what was it that I saw in you again? Like, why is your nose kind of crooked? And, and you've got this one eyebrow that does this kind of funky thing. I, I don't think I ever noticed that before. <laughs> and, and suddenly, life feels a whole lot more like a bunch of hard little green knobs that taste like garbage, then it does. Suddenly life doesn't feel like uh, a tree full of colorful flowers. As Deborah Hirsch says, she says, romantic love, it might get you to the wedding. Or we could say to the new job or to the birth or to the new church or to the friendship or the volunteer opportunity. It might get you that far, but only real love, only covenantal love will keep you there. Well, what happens 
when those feelings of love, those first feelings of love start to wither and fade and, and fall away. What happens when suddenly love doesn't feel like anything anymore? Well, we're going to pause for a discussion question here. And so you can pause the video and discuss this with whoever you're gathered with. Can you name a handful of times that you would say, uh, love felt like a flower? It felt like love, love was in the flower stage. And I don't just mean romantic love. I mean all kinds of love. But it was in the flower stage. And then can you name a handful of times that, no, you'd say love seemed like a bunch of hard little green knobs that tasted like garbage. So go ahead. Pause the video, have that conversation. All right, let's take a moment. We're going to shift gears a little bit and let's recognize the water that we swim in every day. We live in a society that is organized around capitalism. That's our economic system. That's the water that we swim in every day. And so let's take a moment to talk about capitalism and love. Uh, capitalism, that's a buzzword for uh, quite a few people. And they hear capitalism and they automatically think um, over and against Marxism or socialism, uh, they, they hear, you know, you only have two options here. And so it's kind of a polarizing topic for a lot of people. You know, it's one or the other. So let me be clear. I'm talking about capitalism over and against the kingdom of God. Uh, if we lived in a society with a long history organized around Marxism, then I'd be talking about Marxism over and against the kingdom of God. Uh, because both capitalism and Marxism try to build a kingdom without Jesus, leave Jesus out of it, and neither of them ends well. Neither of them are faithful to Jesus. So that's why we're talking about capitalism and love. So Adam Smith is the father of capitalism, this, this economic system that affects so much of life for us. And he said that self-interest is what promotes society. Self-interest. So he says, it is not from the benevolence, like the self-giving of the butcher or the brewer or the baker that we expect their goods, but it's from their own self-interest and from their own self-love that we expect them, we expect their goods. So Adam Smith says the only reason that anyone offers anything of real value to the world is because they're trying to better themselves. So he believed that the job of the government was to allow people to pursue their own self-interest and the job of the government was to protect successful people from those who were farther down the ladder and envious of them. And so 
of course, this, this lends itself to big business and small government. And in this economic system, the, the key is specialization. Uh, you know, you put serious emphasis on getting really good at doing one thing. And so there's serious emphasis on training and career. And capitalism puts a price tag on everything. Uh, so it, everything is a potential commodity. Everyone is a potential either customer or a potential competitor. And the market tells us what is of value and what is not of value. And, and so this is the water that we swim in every day. And when you're swimming in that water every day, cloudy water, you kind of acclimate to it. And then you hardly notice the way in which the water is clouded and it's distorting your view of love. You're looking at love, but you're getting this kind of tainted view of love. So in this world where uh, everything has a price tag, people are trying to figure out, what they are worth. Uh, and this is their search for love. Like, am I worth spending time with? Am I worth your friendship? Am I worth the sacrifice? Am I worth the cost? Am I worth a, a back rub or you changing your weekend plans so that you can hang out with me? Those kinds of questions. And in the, in the waters of capitalism, love gets turned into knowing a good deal when you see one. Love becomes all about getting something from someone. So when people say they love someone or they love something, what they mean, and they may not say it this clearly, but here's, here's what's going on. It's They're running a cost-benefit analysis on the relationship, and they're coming out ahead right now. So they're trying to get their needs met, and right now it's working out for them. And so, yeah, I love you. It's, am I okay with what I'm getting out of this relationship and versus what I'm putting into this relationship? And so people are keeping this, this tally, this, this mental score sheet, and they're paying attention. What you do for me and how you stroke my ego and how you make me feel and and do I think you're hot? Uh, do you give me pleasure? Do you make me look good? Versus all the work I have to put in, uh, all all the things that I'm doing for you, and, and they're they're weighing this. And can you see the self-interest there? What's in it for me? What am I going to get in return? The the logic of capitalism says. If I like what I'm getting out of this relationship right now, well, then I love you. Now, we may say, I don't, I don't like thinking about it like that. But you can see this going on when you hear people speaking in this way. If the cost-benefit analysis gets flip-flopped, people start saying that this relationship, uh, it, it's not really meeting my needs anymore. Or they say, the cost is too high for this relationship. They say, I'm, I'm getting out of this relationship 
because what I'm putting in doesn't match what I'm getting from this. So this relationship just isn't worth it anymore to me. And suddenly their love disappears. They say, oh, I, you know, I'm done. They claim to have fallen out of love. How much time do we spend asking questions like this? What do I have to do in order to be loved? What do I have to do in order to be loved? How, how much of our energy do we spend trying to get other people to ascribe worth to us, to, to respond positively, to tell us, hey, you are worth spending time with. You are worth my attention. You are worth my sacrifice. You are worth my self-giving. How much energy do we put into wondering, can't, what do I have to do to be loved? And it's a love based on doing. It's not a love based on being. It's a love based on doing. And that's, that's all coming from this, this, the waters of capitalism and how they cloud our view of love. Now, I don't want to blame Adam Smith for all of that, uh, because long before Adam Smith and capitalism came along, human instinct was compelling us to live out of self-preservation. Uh, it's, I'm going to think about me before I think about you. And, and so Adam Smith is just the guy who told everyone, well, of course you are, because self-interest is actually a good thing for all of society, and so we should just organize our entire economy around self-interest and and protect self-interest, kind of raise it up as a, as a good thing. But is that the way we want to view love? Let's contrast that picture, that, that cloudy water picture of love with Jesus' picture of love. So, you remember this picture that we looked at last week where we, talk, where we were talking about the flesh and the spirit. And we said the flesh demands and the spirit produces. Well, both the flesh and the spirit can claim this word love. Uh, and both the flesh and the spirit can even create a world that revolves around this word love but they are different versions of love. One version of love demands, and the other version produces, it gives. Uh, One version is assessing worth. It's, I love you because of what you do, and I am loved because of what I do and what I have to offer. It's assessing worth. The other version of love ascribes worth. It gives worth. It says, I love you because of who you are. Not what you do, who you are. And I am loved because of who I am. So love comes from being. Jesus' version of love says, you were worth creating. You were worth creating. Jesus says, you're worth my time. You're worth my gifts, my joy, my suffering, my blood, my life. You're worth it. 
God doesn't love us because God's lonely or God's trying to fill a hole in God's heart or in God's ego. God loves us out of the abundance of who God is because God is love, pure love, love plus nothing else. God is love. And so this picture of love from the spirit, the fruit of the spirit is love. Jesus love is other oriented. It doesn't come from that place of self-interest and self-preservation. It's not thinking about what can I get? It's what can I give? It reverses that direction of thought and action. So it's not me, it's you. Jesus love is undeserved. There, there's no cost benefit analysis going on. There's no tit for tat. There's no keeping track of what I did for you versus what you did for me. This is how Jesus is able to love his enemies. There, there's no keeping score. And because Jesus is not keeping track, love is steady. It's relentless because it doesn't stop when you screw up. Uh, like now you messed up God's cost-benefit analysis worksheet. No, there is no cost-benefit analysis. And so love is steady. It just keeps on coming. Jesus' love suffers. It's hard work. It's messy. It hurts. And it recognizes that to give of yourself requires, it is a major expenditure of energy. It's giving out of who you are. So love costs something. It's a sacrifice. First uh, John 3.16 says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and our sisters. Jesus' love is specific. It's not this vague feeling for the entire world like, oh, oh, I just love everyone. I just love everything. No, it's specific. It recognizes if you say that, you're, you're stretching this thing so thin that now it doesn't mean anything. So, no, it's, it's this person and this specific situation, this neighborhood, this crisis, this specific time, this specific touch. And so in that way, love is down to earth. It's spontaneous. It's adaptive. It is practical care. Jesus' love is time. It's attention. It's ascribing worth in that way. In this world of hurry and rush and efficiency, it is worth it to Jesus to bless little children who everyone else would send away. It is worth it to listen to an unclean widow's entire life story, let her tell her story. It's worth it to invest in just a few people you are worth it. Jesus' love doesn't have an exit strategy. It's open-ended. It's whatever may come, for better or for worse. Throughout Scripture, whenever God's people are at their very worst, 
and God is allowing them to experience the natural consequences of their choices, which is giving them over to what they've chosen. Uh, sometimes this, this word wrath is used. Um, you'll notice that God is always saying things in those stories like, how can I give you up? Even as I'm giving you over to what you've chosen, how can I give you up? Uh, I'm going to keep pursuing you. I will restore you. You can find that flavor over and over and over. Romans 8, nothing in all creation can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And so this love, it is the essence, it is the core of God's being. Faith, hope, and love remain, but the greatest of these is love. That's the final line of the Apostle Paul's love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13. And that love is inside of me, and it's inside of you. You are in God. God is in you. The Apostle John says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. And whoever does not love doesn't know God. Because God is love. And so love, this, this thing we're talking about that comes out of our being, is the evidence of God. You are capable of more love than you think you are. It's in your wiring. You're, you're created in the image of God, and you are able. You are capable. It, it's not an add-on. It, it's not something you should do. Or something you ought to do, uh, like oh, I got to get my act together. I should be more loving. No, when you love, you are being who you are. Now, sometimes it's hard to believe this. We we feel so small. We feel so limited. We feel incapable. So afraid. Fear does a number on love, and so it's easy to feel like. How could my love make any difference? And so we need some cross-pollination. We really do. Now, there are a few varieties of fruit trees that are self-fruitful. They're self-producing. And so what that means is you can plant those fruit trees all alone, just one tree by itself, and it will still grow fruit. That would be a self-fruitful fruit tree. But there are many fruit trees, loads of fruit trees, that are unable to produce fruit unless you've got cross-pollination going on, which means you need two or more fruit trees that are pollinating back and forth. And so what farmers do is they, they plant a whole bunch of fruit trees together, like an orchard, uh, if you're driving I-5 down through California, you'll see a ton of them. And then they bring in hundreds and thousands of bees to help this pollination process. Now, here's what's interesting. No matter if a tree is self-fruitful, even if it is and, and it could produce fruit all by itself, uh, or no matter if a tree requires cross-pollination, when you plant a bunch of fruit trees together, 
when there is cross-pollination going on, those fruit trees always become more fruitful. They produce better fruit when they are together. Now, that that's interesting as we are digesting this word. The fruit of the Spirit is love. It's not simply you are capable of more love than you think. It is we, together, all of us, together we are more capable of love than we think. And, and the Apostle Paul is using that we, that y'all language throughout the letter to the Galatians. So the quality and the quantity of our love actually increases as we are together. It's cross-pollination. It's as we are listening to one another, we are spurred on to love more. It's our imagination is opened up to new possibilities. We're made aware of one another's needs and needs in the community. And it's like the, the wheels start turning, the ideas start going. And so we need to hear this message from one another so that it gets inside of us. We need to hear from one another. You are more capable of love than you think. We are more capable of love than we think. So here's where we're ending today. This is what we did as a, a church family in our gathering. And so I invite you to do this with the friends that you are gathered with to close by telling some down to earth love stories to one another. And I mean that word love in the broadest way, in the way that we were just talking about Jesus love. Uh, so you might tell a love story about something you witnessed, a picture of love, something you experienced, or you might tell a, a vision, a dream of what you imagine that fruit of love becoming one day in your life or in our life together. So tell some down-to-earth love stories. Love your friends. Mm -hmm.